You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome in to Locked On College Football. My name is Josh Ward. I'm the host of Locked On Vols, along with Andrew Wade, who you can find every day on Locked On Hawkeyes. It's going to be a Ward and Wade Wednesday. Looking forward to that. Uh, each week during the college football season, is, uh, Andrew, we get to be kind of the, the middle midpoint, so we can look back a little bit, look ahead, and obviously today we talk about the start of the season. So a lot of stuff's going on in the college football world with teams that have started up and teams that are about to. Yeah, man, it's exciting. I, I actually found myself watching a ton of college football this weekend. My wife was doing some painting. I watched, I literally watched a Texas State game, which I've never seen a Texas State game. I, you know, I stayed up on a Monday to watch that BYU-Navy game, which was, was gross. I watched Houston Baptist in North Texas. I miss college football so much. I was watching yeah. Houston Baptist in North Texas, man. But it's, it's great to have college football. I'm excited for this upcoming weekend where we actually get some, some bigger schools playing, some schools I actually care about playing, which will be a lot of fun. Well, it's obviously been a COVID offseason, right? And uh, there have been the questions about what's going to happen in, in the Big Ten, the Pac-12, Mountain West, MAC, they're not playing, but others have started up and power conferences are starting this week with the ACC and the Pac-12. So uh, one thing we thought we'd discuss is what we've seen on the field, how the product might look, and also just the unknowns that that could be present over the course of the season this week and beyond. So uh, I will ask watching these different games, did anything stand out to you about the level of play issues that teams were dealing with when they were out there on the field? What'd you think? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, it's a little bit difficult to gamble on these games. I put a, I bet a lot of money on each of these games and it was a little bit difficult because you don't know what you're going to get. And I think that kind of goes back to the fact of during this pandemic, these teams aren't able to do a lot of the things they typically do. They don't have as much lead time getting into the season. So it was a lot sloppier than I think we typically see, even for a week zero, even for some of these mid-major type of schools, some of these smaller group of five type of schools. But you saw it in the BYU-Navy game, uh, they even said they had not done any tackling. And it showed. I mean, BYU was just gashing them left and right. PFF just came out, and all four of the B or four of the five BYU offensive linemen were the top four offensive linemen, according to PFF, this, you know, this week and it the tackling was just atrocious by navy so that was one of the big things i saw just you're not getting the stellar not even you know the stellar play you typically would expect in a week zero it was pretty sloppy play all around right and you know who knows i kind of lean toward teams that are a little more experienced maybe that would help them but also within practices we don't know who might be missing time who is available teams are being very secretive Uh, lincoln riley oklahoma's coach said on tuesday that He's not going to put that information out there in terms of who's been out, who, who might not play, how many players they won't have available. He's going to treat it like injury reports in college. is not like the NFL when it comes to injury information. So um, some teams that they have guys that are in and out of the practice field, that's going to affect them on the field because uh, it limits how much you can do contact-wise because if you guys don't have guys out there, you can't get them hurt, right? So uh, I, I bet we'll see this all over the place. It's just difficult to project which teams will be most affected. Absolutely. I mean, talking back to that Texas State game, uh, we talked about it before the show. They had offensive linemen playing tight end because they just didn't have any tight end. So you're not sure what you're going to get with each of these teams. Um, I actually wanted to ask you though, a question on the on the Oklahoma front. Do you how do you feel about the fact they're hiding what people actually have cases? Do you feel like it truly is a competitive advantage, or do you feel like it's just being a little bit shady at this point? I'm kind of on the fence. I, I understand the competitive advantage side of it, but it just seems a little bit ridiculous given what's happening in this, this world of, of the pandemic. Yeah, I, uh, I would lean toward more of the shady side. And that's because the universities are putting out 
data, right? They're telling us about numbers of positive tests. I mean, schools have dashboard setups on their website, so you can just go and see. So I don't think coaches should be saying, hey, this player's out, because part of the issue is you don't know if a guy is tested positive. You don't know if he's just being socially quarantined. Uh, you know, it, it's very difficult there. So naming players, but you're also going to get out to a game and you're going to see who is and who is not playing. So that kind of speculation is going to take place anyway. Um, in, in the preseason, I will say with, with Tennessee, now they didn't go through all 44 players this past weekend, Tennessee having 44 guys that couldn't practice. But early on, uh, there was uh, the star freshman quarterback, Harrison Bailey. He did not practice the first week. Jeremy Pruitt was asked about him specifically. And then Pruitt went into detail. Now, he had not tested positive. So maybe that's part of the, uh, the allowance is that he was just being socially quarantined. But I, per personally, I would like to see a little more openness to it as much as they can be. I don't expect yep. full transparency because they probably can't. Yeah. But uh, is there really that much of a competitive advantage? I guess if you get out there and you've game plan for a, a tight end group and it's not available, but who does that hurt the opponent or you? So, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I, I, that's why I come back to more of the shady side. I, I completely agree. But, I mean, if, for example, Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma is unable to play because he contracted COVID, that's a pretty big deal. You're missing out on your starting quarterback, the guy you've sure. been grooming to play quarterback in Oklahoma. But – I do think it's important to try to to be as transparent as possible. The thing I think will be really interesting, and we're seeing this in the NFL as well, with the expanded practice squads and some of the flexibility of moving players up from the practice squad, we're going to see some younger guys get some meaningful playing time right away in college football. And we're going to see some guys maybe make a name for themselves a little bit earlier than they typically would have. We're going to see, you know, a lot of schools – you know, they, they might bring in a quarterback every single recruiting class. What if a quarterback goes down? Now you have an opportunity to see another quarterback without actually having an injury per se. Um, so there's going to be some interesting opportunities to see some of these younger players play as well. Well, and I think that's why the delayed start, uh, the, the Big 12 and, and ACC, they're about to get going. So it's not that long of a delay. SEC is a little longer. But that's probably important for some of those younger players because they didn't get a regular offseason. Some guys enrolled early. That, you know, that happens more often. Uh, but they weren't able to go through spring practice like they expected. And then summer workouts were not normal. So a little extra time, uh, one, that helps mentally, two, just physically to get ready. Again, not knowing exactly what's going on at practice with a lot of teams. But, yeah, I, I totally agree, whether it's at the start of the season or at some point during the year, I think that young players better be ready because depth just matters more than it ever has, right? If, if, you, if you anticipate having players out more often, that means you're going to have to go down the depth chart. So it's just, it's a pretty natural conversation to say the young guys that typically wouldn't be asked to be ready will need, will, they'll be needed to be ready this year. Definitely. And I actually have a question to you about what do you feel like is going to happen if there is a team that, for example, like Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma State, where they had to postpone their game. Yeah. What is going to happen going forward if we have this happen consistently? What if, what if Alabama and LSU have to postpone a game? What is the world going to say if they have to postpone a game because they have too many players out? What is that limit that kind of happens and you say, okay, maybe this is getting a little bit dangerous if we have too many people um, broken out with coronavirus? Well, um, you know, if a game has to be postponed, one, my first question is, how are you going to try to make that up? Because I'm sure they would try, but, you know, there's only much time, so much time. One negative of pushing back is, you know, you'd like to have multiple weeks off in there. And then in the SEC starting September 26th, they can't, you know, really pull something like that off, or at least it's more difficult, I guess I should say. Uh, so if, it, if it's a game between like Alabama and Georgia play this year, or, or Alabama, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, you come up with a bunch and they don't get to play, you're going to have a lot of fighting within conferences. If, if games aren't, uh, if they aren't played, 
Fans, of course, are going to be all over it. You're going to hear fighting behind the scenes. Remember when Florida and LSU, they had some postponement issues over uh, a hurricane? Yep. Well, you know, this situation where anxiety is in, in place already and people are going to be fighting and, and clawing behind the scenes. There were reports that that happened a little bit with scheduling. Then, uh, then it could be ugly. What I would say is you, you play as many games as you can. You hope that every team's able to play 10 games. You recognize that maybe that won't happen. And then at the end of the year, if you, if you have an uneven number of games that are played, you go to win percentage. Uh, and it, look, if there's, a, if there's a game where, just to go back to Alabama, if they were able to miss out on one of their toughest games, then fans are going to complain and say, hey, they didn't, they didn't have to play that game. I guess if I'm the SEC, I'm the league office. If I'm the ACC, the Big 12, I would say, hey, we played as many as we could. We need to make as much money as we can. This is how it goes. But, yeah, I think we're going back to uh, World War times maybe where you're saying, yeah, this team played six games, this team, team played eight games, and that's just kind of the way it is. It's definitely an interesting situation. I do have a question for you about whether or not you want to consider that as an asterisk, whoever wins the NCAA championship this year. Before we get into that, though, have you tried the Built Bars yet, the new and improved Built Bars? Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I've had some friends that have tried them as well, and I've got some really good reviews on some of the new flavors. I've been a peanut butter guy, by the way. So peanut, butter, peanut, butter, peanut butter brown. Yeah, those are my favorites uh, for sure. But uh, the, the mint has gotten a big uh, – that's one of the, the, the OG flavors. Yeah. But, yeah, I've got, gotten some, uh, some good reviews on the, the new and the old 18 flavors now from Built Bar. Yeah, I mean, I just I got the uh, cookies and cream actually sent to me. I, I'm a big fan of the salted caramel. That's my favorite. But the cookies and cream got sent to me, and I absolutely freaking love it. I don't know about you, man, but we're pretty busy, guys. We got stuff going on during the day. Um, I love my Built Bars after a workout or even just a midday snack. Today I went to the, the auto store, had to get my oil changed, and I needed something to eat. So I took out a Built Bar, got me 17 grams of protein, only 5 grams of carbs and fat. So it's exactly what you want, really, from a, a healthy snack that can get, get you that delicious with all of that chocolate so awesome to see that you love it awesome to see that your friends love it and if more people want to try that built bar just go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get ten dollars off your next order use promo code locked on for ten dollars off your next order at builtbar.com and right now while supplies last you get a free cooler with your purchase so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on for ten dollars off so josh i was i was thinking about that you know if a team only plays six games, another team plays eight games or a team plays nine games at the end of the season, it's going to be pretty difficult. There's going to be a lot of fighting as to who deserves to make a college ball playoff, who deserves to be ranked higher than who. Um, do you feel like no matter what happens this season, there's going to be an asterisk behind it? I mean, if Tennessee were to win a national championship per se, is that still the same thing to you as if they would have won it last year or the year next year? You know, to me, it is. Um, my my first response is, yeah, I think there's probably an asterisk. Um, you know, I, I think one issue would be the fact that Ohio State's not playing this fall. And uh, assuming we go through a season, nothing changes and, and the Big Ten doesn't take place. You know, what, what if we see Ohio State in the spring? And this would be well after the fact, but they look as good as everybody thought they would. Uh, there's an asterisk in the fact that they didn't get to be a part of the equation or, or Penn State, which could have factored in from the Big Ten as well. Um, you know, the, but you, know, you could also say, well, Ohio State was going to have to go play Oregon. What if Oregon looks really good? Of course, Panay Sewell's opted out. So uh, we can keep going down this road. I would just come back to, I think a lot of people are going to say that there is. One thing that would keep that from happening, or at least quiet the talk of an asterisk, I think is if, if we get to the playoff and you still have the big boys that were expected to be there, if it's Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Georgia, let's say. Let's say that's the four. You would say, well, there's a good chance those were going to be four or three of the four anyway. 
and we still got to see the best teams. The eyeball test ended up playing a, a huge role. Uh, and, um, you know, like if, if Alabama were to win, people are going to complain. But you would also say, well, it's Alabama. Or if Clemson were to win, you'd say, yeah, they've got Trevor Lawrence. So my initial reaction is, is there's probably an asterisk, uh, asterisk. I think it's more likely to be held by a lot of people. If a team that's unexpected takes advantage of some opportunity, uh, I've seen some Miami buzz with De'Aaron King there at quarterback. If Miami's <laughs> able to, to break through or uh, Brock Purdy at, at Iowa State, if they were able to get through and get to the playoff and somehow win a national championship, I think a lot of people would look at it and say, well, some circumstances ended up getting them there. Whether that's fair or not, uh, I think that would pop up. What do you think? I, I completely agree. Um, Iowa State's an interesting situation because to get there, they would have to be, I mean, being in the state of Iowa or being from the state of Iowa, yeah. uh, I do follow Iowa State pretty closely um, as much as I can. I mean, they would have to beat Oklahoma uh, and a Texas team that's always seemingly um, back, but they never actually are back. But you, they, you do have to win a couple games. I'm kind of thinking, though, of the BYUs. So BYU stomps Navy 55-3. to Their schedule is garbage. They play Army, Troy, UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio, Houston might be their best game. Texas State, Western Kentucky, and North Alabama. That is, I mean, every single one of those games is arguably the easiest game on Tennessee's schedule, on an Alabama schedule, on an Iowa schedule. Every single game there is one of the easiest games any of those major teams would play. They could run the table. They could go 8-0. And then do they deserve to be in that conversation? I personally don't think so, but how do you not make the case for a team like that that did go 8-0, they did follow the rules, it's just a little bit crappy. Yeah, I think, um, and I'm with you, we talked about BYU a little bit on the radio on Tuesday after seeing what they did and then looking at the schedule and say, you know what, there's a path here. My guess right now is that if we get to the end of the season, no matter how things have been played out, if some games have, have been postponed or canceled, whatever, uh, that the Power Five is going to say, hey, we, we didn't play our conference schedules here to let BYU into the playoff with that. So they're just – they're not going to be let in. And that's why I, I do think we're going to see our first two-loss team get into the playoff. I think that's going to happen, and it's going to be recognized that, hey, conference-only schedules, they're tougher. And, uh, and week in, week out, you're, you're facing possible loss. Uh, I think that if you run into a, a game where it wasn't postponed, but a really good team that's a playoff contender played without some key players – That'll probably be recognized if they lose the game, especially if we're talking about a quarterback being out. You know, if Oklahoma loses with Spencer Rattler being out, I think that'll be recognized. Uh, so uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, if for some reason he was quarantined and couldn't play for a week, something like that. So my guess is, like, I'm very curious. D does a non-Power 5 team make it in or a, a team that's not, you know, like I, I bring up Iowa State. A lot of people could also at the end of the season say, yeah, it's Iowa State. I don't know. And we still end up seeing the big boys. I lean toward that being the end result, but I'm also I'm kind of guessing ahead of time. I just as as hard as we've seen the Power Five teams, uh, schools, and conferences that are playing, they're doing that for a reason. And if the playoff is happening at the end of the season, they're going to make sure they they don't just get their share that they take up all the shares. Yeah, I mean it's the good old boys club too. I mean unless you you have to basically do something very impressive to get past them. It's kind of like when you look at UCF for example, they might run the table, go twelve and zero, and they still don't make the college ball playoff because of the comp the schedule they're playing. I think you can look at BYU and say the exact same thing. A two loss Georgia is going to be ahead of a undefeated UCF or in this case an undefeated BYU. So I think regardless, it's all going to kind of go back to the norm. Um, it would be interesting to see a an unexpected school, though, from one of the three major conferences that are playing. Like you said, 
and Iowa State? Um, what if they go undefeated? What if they get lucky and beat, like you said, in Oklahoma when Spencer Rattler's out? Uh, that, I think, would then cause a lot of uh, pandemonium in the college ball world, and there'd be a lot of debate as to, to what was fair and what was, what was not fair. Am I right that fans are just going to lose their minds, though, yeah. over whatever happens? I mean, because my, my thought it, in the summer was that fans are going to say, ah, it's 2020, let's, let's just appreciate what we get. And then when uh, – I think it was when the Big Ten did their announcement of conference only, and, of course, they ended up canceling. But when that happened, I had texts from friends saying, Notre Dame's going to end up only having to play three games to get in the playoffs. Like, that's your, that's your immediate response. <laughs> that's your first thought. So, I, I think fans are, are going to lose their, their minds no matter what. Yeah, people are going to be pissed off. For, I mean, people are pissed off even in a normal season. You have a very normal season where you could truly say these are probably the four best teams. You could argue maybe one other team, and people are still pissed off. Uh, I mean, I was pissed off when, Oklahoma, or when Ohio State got left out a few years back. I mean, Ohio State goes through a Big Ten, and they were like, the Big Ten's kind of a weaker conference this year, and they didn't get in. I was pissed off, and I'm not even an Ohio State fan. I hate Ohio State. Ohio State's the enemy. But I think no matter what, you're absolutely right. You hit the, the nail on the head there. Everyone's going to be pissed off regardless of what happens, unless you're the team that wins or makes the college ball playoff. Um, I'm interested, though, what do you think is going to happen with bowl games? Like, they just – I haven't heard yeah. anything about it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, first of all, I'd like to know what is the fan attendance allowance because some schools are having, you know, a lot of schools are having limited capacity. Does that grow? Because, you know, a big thing with bowl games, of course, is having fans that are able to be there. Uh, does that get better later in the year um, or does it get worse? You know, that would be a concern, obviously. And then how many teams do you have that can get to bowl games? So my guess is that maybe you have some but they're all not going to take place and, and the, the marquee bowl games get protected and you make sure you do what you can to play them. But uh, I, if you look at the entire bowl schedule, which has really grown over the last few years, I, uh, I don't see them all taking place. And you know, some of them, maybe they'd be better off financially not taking place this year and getting ready for 2021. Yeah, I'm curious, though, too, because we do see bowls kind of fade off. We do see uh, different sponsors buy certain bowls or, you know, pay for those certain bowls. Do you think, because the, you were obviously right, the bowl – the bowl season kind of has gotten a little bit large. I mean, we're seeing teams that go six and six and end up losing. They finish the record six and seven and they went to a bowl. Um, do you feel like next season there could be an opportunity where we might actually see a shrinkage in bowl games, even in a, a normal college football season because of the lack of money coming in this year, they might not be able to financially afford to kind of keep the bowl going. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I worry about long-term financial ramifications because even with seasons being played, we're, we're going to see losses, major losses, tens of millions of dollars that are lost even playing football because of the lack of attendance and lack of games. I mean, the, the schedule's being reduced. So um, what, what's the sponsor support level like for some of those bowl games? And some of them are kind of fringe anyway. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, they're startup bowls, if that's the right way to describe them. So um, could we see a drop? How many games are, are being played in the Big Ten next year? Is it a full 12-game schedule? How does that affect things if they do play this spring? You know, a lot of it is just try to get through this year and, and see where you are financially. But um, I, th I think we'll see a lot of negative ramifications, and the bowl games could be a part of that. Absolutely, man. And I, I do want to ask you – I do need to take a quick break, but I do want to ask you before we go into the break – what are your thoughts on a overall governing body of the NCAA? So I'm looking at the college basketball landscape and there's, it seems like there's a lot better leadership at that overarching level of saying like, here's what we're going to do from a, a global perspective. College football doesn't seem to have that. So once you sit on that, I'm going to ask you that question when we get back from the break after a few quick messages from our sponsors. 
I mean, we are back for our third and final segment of the Locked On College Football Podcast. Josh, before the break, I asked you the question, you know, what, what are your thoughts with a global governing body of the NCAA? We have the NCAA, but for college football, it doesn't seem like they really do a whole lot. The conferences kind of allow themselves to make their own decisions. We see the Big Ten and the Pac-12 kind of go rogue. I think the Big Ten definitely expected SEC and ACC and the Big 12 to follow, and they said, screw you, we're not dumb, we're staying around, and we're going to figure out a way to make this happen. And now you see the outpouring of disrespect coming at the Big Ten. But what are your thoughts on a, a global governing body that actually manages all the conferences cohesively? I think the idea is great or, or the, the concept of it because we watch pro sports, we watch the NFL, and despite its criticism, you have Roger Goodell who's in place, which helps at least the organization and everything move forward. Uh, the NBA, Adam Silver, uh, he's been lauded, I think, for the work that he's done, uh, Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball. So seeing that, it would, it would make sense to say, okay, well, somebody needs to be in charge. Mark Emmert is not that guy for college football. But then I also look in, and see what's going on in the Big Ten. And I see the difference in decision-making from the Big Ten, Pac-12, MAC, Mountain West, and then what's going on in the SEC, Conference USA, the ACC, and Big 12, and what they're trying to do in play games. And I, I wonder, what could a, a real commissioner do in this case? Uh, what could a commissioner do if the Big 12, or excuse me, Big Ten presidents are saying, no, we're not going to play? Nothing would be my answer. In, in fact, yeah. They can't even get their house in order in the Big Ten with Kevin Warren and the presidents and the athletic directors. That You have so many moving parts and pieces, and I'm not even uh, attempting to, to cast blame there. I'm just saying that's the reality of it. So then if you expand everything, and we're not even just talking about the Big Ten. We're not just talking about the Pac-12. We're talking about all of these different conferences, which include so many different states and presidents and chancellors, and then you get to athletic directors, and it would be too much of a mess. So uh, maybe I'd like to see it for more just big picture items, it'd be better for name image likeness, but I, I don't even know if, you know, how much power would they really have? So the idea I love, I just, uh, I, I'm afraid that if it were attempted, it would end up being a big failure. Absolutely. And I think that'd, be, that'd just open up more um, avenues for criticism of that governing body. It, it is interesting though to see college basketball seemingly operating in some sort of cohesion, trying to figure out what's happening. We see college football and it, it seems like kind of a bunch of, you know, a bunch of moving parts going in a bunch of random directions. And it's really going to throw things off. I mean, we talked about the asterisk and I struggle with the fact that if you're not having the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and I, I don't have a lot of respect for the Pac-12, I would consider the Big Ten probably I would actually want to get your opinion on this too. I consider the Big Ten the second best conference in college football. Um, and I would say it's actually a lot closer than people would say to the SEC. Um, but you don't have the Big Ten playing. Uh, that makes it really difficult to really crown a, a champion, in my opinion. Like you said, what if Ohio State does really well in the spring? Um, people are going to be pissed off regardless, but it just kind of sucks that we're not seeing all those teams play together. Yeah, it does. And um, I mean, wh whether people want to, put an asterisk on this season or not, I'm always going to think about the fact that Ohio State, Penn State, that they weren't a part of it. Um, you know, just there's also the part of, you know, I just, I love seeing those teams play in their non-conference games and then see the conference come together and see what, what upsets might happen, what kind of run uh, Iowa and Wisconsin and Michigan State that don't get as much attention typically going into a season as Ohio State, Michigan and, and Penn State might get uh, and see if they can ruffle some feathers in the conference. Um, I also agree with you on, on how we would probably rank things. Um, I would go SEC, Big Ten. And, and over the last few years, I do think it's been closer at times than people want to acknowledge. 
Um, and then, you know, the, like the Big 12, you have Oklahoma, you have Texas, Oklahoma State's in that mix. And then it's, it's kind of difficult to, to look at anybody else. Baylor's made a run at it a few times, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just no matter how things play out, no matter if there's football in the spring or not, I'm always going to look back and say, yeah, you know, we didn't get to see a normal college football season. I would like to see more conference games in the future. I've been a big advocate for the SEC to go from eight to nine. I just think if you're going to have a playoff where all the teams around the country have a shot, you know, for the most part, then you're going to need a a more even number of conference games. So I, I hope this leads us in that direction. But yeah, I don't know how you can look at this upcoming season and say it's a typical year and the national champion was crowned um, in in regular fashion. We, how many times in the past have we talked about the MNC, the mythical national champion anyway? So I I would acknowledge a winner if they get to the end of the season, I would just say, yeah, that year was a little different. And and, uh, not only was Ohio state left out of the playoff, it was left out of the season. So (laughs) uh, that that's really not a fair shake. Yeah, we're, we're possibly going to have, you know, 10 mythical national championships or national champions. It'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I had a question based off what you said, though. Uh, you, you were starting to rank the conferences. I want to get your full top five conferences, though. So it sounds like it's SEC, Big Ten. Would you say Big 12 is third? Yeah, I would go Big 12 probably, then ACC. I mean, Clemson helps weighted at the top. If Florida State could get things going back in the right direction, that could make a big impact on that. I've liked – the coaches that have been hired in the ACC, you know, you kind of go to the more the, the quote bottom and look at like Duke with David Cutcliffe, Wake oh. Forest with Dave Clawson, uh, Brock Home Mendenhall coming into Virginia has helped legitimize that team a lot. And then you know, North Carolina is really interesting right now. So um, the, the ACC, I think, has a lot of potential. You have recruiting that can be a bigger hit, I think, with some of those schools. Mac Brown's shown that at UNC. But uh, I think I would go with the Big 12 because of Oklahoma and the power that, that Texas can show or should, right, yep. uh, and, and Oklahoma State. But it's, it's really close. And the fact that Clemson has been what it has been, if you want to go Clemson uh, in the ACC third, uh, Notre Dame being a part of it this year, maybe that, that puts yeah. the ACC higher. So uh, th- that's how I would do it. What would you say? Um, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think it's, it's clearly SEC, Big Ten. For me, I think the Big Ten, the, the middle part of the Big Ten is, is actually what makes me feel like the Big Ten's closer to the SEC. I mean, the SEC has some of the powerhouses, but I think the, the middle of the Big Ten actually does pretty well. Um, I think it's I – th- I would go Big 12 for right now. Uh, I okay. think it's a smaller conference, so it you know the top teams have a little bit more weight. But like you said, the ACC is definitely up and coming, and then the Pac-12 is is my fifth team or the fifth conference by far. Yeah. Um, the, the California schools they have to hold on to more of those California prospects to yep. move up in the conference rankings. Hundred percent agree. Um, and actually, that's a really good segue because I did want to bring up one other thing. There was a top twenty recruit who just committed tonight actually as we're recording so we're recording on tuesday night uh nolan rucci a 14th overall prospect in the nation a five-star offensive tackle six foot eight 295 pounds held 29 offers uh, including to you know alabama clemson florida he committed to the university of wisconsin which as an iowa fan and the host of locked on hawkeyes is incredibly depressing to me um but i want to talk a little bit about recruiting in general how do you feel like recruiting is kind of happening right now with the pandemic going on. Do you feel like it's um, leaving local prospects a little bit more uh, easier to get to a local school? I guess I said that kind of backwards, but if you're in the state, you probably have a better chance at that prospect during this pandemic because you can't go on national visits and whatnot. 
Yeah, I think that's probably true. And uh, I think that's been more of the case as the summer months have gone along and now we're getting into the fall, of course. But as time continued to drag on, I think prospects who might have been interested elsewhere if they had not committed yet started to be drawn closer to home. Uh, Tennessee, I think, took advantage of that. Uh, as I host Locked on Vols, there's a, a tight end prospect, Hudson Wolf, who if 2020 doesn't happen the way that it did and you, had, you don't have COVID and all that stuff, I think Hudson Wolf might have committed to Ohio State. But as time went on and he wasn't able to go visit, he started to be drawn back closer to home, or at least staying in the state. And now he's going to Tennessee and he'll be on campus in January. I think you have a bunch of examples like that. That's why, why I also will be curious to see how many commitments are held if a guy hasn't been on campus in a long time? Or in you know, some cases, Andrew, there are guys out there who have committed and they haven't been to a school yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's really hard to believe, but it's, it's the truth. And I don't know when visits are going to happen. I don't know if official visits are going to happen. So uh, it, that's going to be one of the really interesting storylines for the next three or four months is uh, what, what prospects who are undecided decide to do and um, coaches with their scholarship offers and their evaluations, those have all been affected. So frankly, I think it's going to be a mess. But it's, yeah. uh, it's going to be something for us to pay attention to and, and talk about in the coming weeks as well. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like in the next two to three years, that transfer market could be pretty hot as well, especially if you have players that are committing, they actually go to the school and they don't like it. Um, yeah. Do you get, I, a, I think you the get transfer a waiver? market's going to be wild in the next few years, because uh, also if you have guys that stay, if they get that extra eligibility and decide to stay younger players who thought they, they might be next to play might not have the playing time they expected. Then these freshmen show up and then coaches, maybe they get kept this year because of financial restrictions but in the next two years, they start moving around again. So uh, that and then the one-time transfer allowance. So I, I think the 2021-22 the off-seasons will be wild. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a sight to see. It is definitely – this pandemic has changed a lot more than I think we all anticipated when the NCAA tournament was shut down. I thought, yeah. we're here for a little bit. It's all good. We're going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're here in September, and we're wondering if, you know, what football is going to look like for the next two, three years and how the transfer market is going to be impacted and, and the financial impacts of that. But Josh, do you have anything else to add before we close out the show today, man? No, I'm just glad that uh, the football is here. It, it's, it's been a very interesting offseason. I think we've had more to talk about than you maybe you would generally think. But you know what's good to talk about is football games. So we'll be back next Wednesday talking about what will have happened, looking ahead to, uh, I guess it's week two. This is the official week one, right, yep. for, for college football. So um, we're here with you every day. Andrew Wade from uh, Locked On Hawkeyes. I'm Josh Ward from Locked On Balls. And make sure you download and subscribe. Be subscribed so that every day when the, uh, the show is posted, we're here five days a week on Locked On College Football. It will be there in your feed. So Andrew's a lot of fun. Our first show. Uh, Had a blast, man. Days. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be back each week. I love it, man. Have a good day, buddy. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for being with us here on Locked On College Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Jake Knapp is the inventor of the design sprint and the New York Times bestselling author of the book Sprint. He's also the co-founder of Character, a venture fund for early stage startups. How and why did you start using Miro? I came from this position of thinking, I don't want to be doing stuff online to thinking now when I do a sprint in person with a company. It's like, we're going to use Miro, even though we're all in the same room, because that's a better way for us to get this work done. As an investor, we're basically investing in their ability to solve problems. We're saying, we think this group of people is going to be able to solve a problem in a really great way and create value by doing it. And actually, you need to give people the tools that can help them make decisions, help them collaborate, help them visualize and see things in a different way. 
And Miro does all those things. So to me, at least as an investor, I'm thinking, give the team the tools that are going to help them think, that are going to make the most, brighten their, their skills as smart folks. And Miro is at the top of that list for me.